All right, is there anybody here who had siblings when you were growing up? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Now, okay. Now, of those who had brothers and sisters growing up, do you think your parents had a favorite? Raise your hand if you think your parents, oh, all right. You know, that child that could do no wrong, you know, the golden child of the family. Now, does anyone here want to admit that you were that favorite child? Okay, I see a couple hands. I see it. Thanks for your honesty. You know, what, what, what I love about the Bible, what, what, you know, just one of the things I love is that it doesn't whitewash everything. It doesn't make everybody look just perfect. I mean, the, the writers who, who were inspired by God to put down these words could have made God's people perfect, never making a mistake. But instead, what we have in the, in the text of Scripture is an authentic look at God's people, warts and all. And these are the ones that God chose to be his people. See, the, the family involved in our scripture passage today is probably the most dysfunctional family in the Bible. If you think you have a dysfunctional family, oh my goodness. This family has you beat. This is a dysfunctional family. Just when you think that this family couldn't get more twisted or do more awful things to each other, they do it again. And some of the things that this family did that are in the Bible is probably best that the kids don't read. That's the family we're talking about today. We're talking about the family of Jacob. His family included his two wives and their combined 12 sons. Do you see the beginning right there to issues? That's a problem right there. See, marriage is designed by God to be between one man and one woman. If you mess with that formula, you're going to have issues. Because God didn't create us to live outside of that marital design. Like having more than one wife. It doesn't work out. You're bringing problems upon yourself. So as we get back to this family of Jacob, you've, you've probably heard the story of his 12 sons. He had a favorite. He had a golden child. He had one that he, could, he always overlooked all of this child's issues. And that was Joseph. You see, little Joey was a spoiled brat. Let's just call him for what he was. He got whatever he wanted. Nothing was ever his fault. He was spoiled. He was better than everybody because he was dad's favorite. And everybody knew he was dad's favorite. It was easy for his other brothers to hate him. You know, I had two brothers growing up, and we, we used to get into it a lot. I would try to use logic, and they used their fists. But it was, no, it wasn't that bad. But, but brothers get into it. That's what they do. And one day, Joseph's brothers had enough. 
So instead of just like taking Joseph and locking him in a closet or something, they said, you know, let's just kill him. Now I told you this was a dysfunctional family. Let's kill him. Let's make it look like an accident so that we don't have to deal with this little spoiled kid anymore. But there was one brother who thought that was going too far. Look, he said, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit and leave him to die. Because then we didn't actually kill him. And we'd feel better about ourselves. I guess there's brotherly love in there somewhere, I guess if you wanted to find it. So they take little spoiled Joey and they throw him in a pit. And as they're leaving, they see a caravan coming by. And it was some slave traders from Egypt. And one of the other brothers said, Guys, I just thought of something. If we leave little Joey to die, it doesn't do us any good other than getting rid of him. Let's sell him to the slave traders. So we'll get rid of him and we'll make a little money on the side. They thought that was a great idea. I told you this was a dysfunctional family. So little Joey was sold off to be a slave in Egypt. And what his brothers did was to put their father through agony and grief because he thought that his favorite child was dead. Terrible to put their father through that. And Joseph grew up very quickly. His world had turned upside down. He went from being a spoiled favorite child of a wealthy, of a, of a, of a wealthy rancher to a slave in a foreign country. You can read about his time in Egypt uh, in, in Genesis 39 through chapter 50. Things started out okay for him, I guess. He was still a slave. But then he was accused of assaulting his owner's wife. And he was thrown in prison. But this is, this is where it gets a little bit interesting. Because prisons weren't very common in the ancient world. In fact, if you look through the Old Testament, I mean, you can find regulations and policies about everything. I mean, there's even a rule what to do if a man loses his hair. Is he still clean before God? Thankfully, yes. So I'm good to go. But they had policies on how to clean your house on how to cook supper. There are policies and regulations for everything. But there's nothing that has to do with prisons or prisoners or how to take care of prisoners or the condition of prisons. And that's because there weren't very many of them in the ancient world. Because see, instead of putting people in prison, they just executed them. Don't incarcerate them, just kill them. That was the nature of the world. The only in ancient Egypt do we find prisons, and they were just places to hold people to the, until they were put to death. 
And that's where Joseph found himself. In a holding tank ready to be killed. But God was with him. And through some dreams that he had and some miracles that took place, Joseph went from waiting for execution in a prison all the way to becoming the right-hand man of Pharaoh himself. From the dungeon to the throne room in a short amount of time. It was a miracle. You can read about that in Genesis 41. Think about this. Joseph was probably in his early 20s at this time. It was, the, and it was already the second time in his life that he thought he was about to die. And it was the second time in his life that God had spared him. That's a lot to go through as a young adult. Well, around this time, he, was, he had been raised to the most powerful position in Egypt. And a drought came that lasted several years, and it ravaged the entire Middle East. And because of Joseph's foresight, because of God's wisdom, the years before the drought, Egypt had stored up grain during the years of, of, of plenty. So now everybody in the world had to come to Egypt to buy grain because nobody else had it. So what do you think that did to the price of grain? Way up. And what do you think that did to Egypt's coffers? They're making a lot of money. And imagine what that did to this former slave named Joseph who told them, we better start storing grain because a drought's coming. Boy, his prestige was high. Everything was going well for him. And that, all that background brings us to our scripture passage today that Sean read a little earlier. Because you see, Joseph's brothers also had to travel to Egypt, like everybody else did, to buy grain. And the Egyptian official who oversaw the purchase of the grain was none other than Joseph. The situation had changed a little bit, hadn't it? So when they came before him, Joseph recognized them. They had no idea that the wealthy government official before them was their brother Joseph. Probably because he had grown and he had taken on the Egyptian appearances. I don't know if he had makeup on or what, but he didn't look the same. They did. He knew exactly who they were. And now Joseph had all the power and his brothers had none. Wouldn't you love to be in a situation like that? (laughs) Well, Joseph did play with them a little bit. Probably had some fun doing it. He accused them of being spies. Maybe he wanted to have a little bit of satisfaction of getting even with them a little bit. See, he could do whatever he wanted to them without any consequences at all. Nobody would care. He could make them slaves. He could put them to death. No one would care because he had all the power. Have you ever been hurt by somebody? 
And you wish that you could be in a situation like Joseph was and really let him have it. And when you see him struggle a little bit, does it make you smile? I used to be bullied in school when I was growing up. I told you that. In elementary school, I used to, I mean, I was, I mean, I went to school every day prepared to be bullied. I would hide gum in my shoes so these these punks didn't know I had it. Didn't taste real good, but hey, at least I had it. And when these guys would get in trouble, I was like, yes. It felt so good. Because they humiliated me. And I wanted to see him pay for it. Think about what Joseph's brothers did to him. He had spent around 25 years away from his parents, from his friends, from his own country because his own brothers sold him as a slave to a foreign country. Imagine the resentment and the anger that could have built up inside of him. And he finally saw his brothers and he was just, he just, imagine all of that just bursting forth and just letting them have it. And imagine the the horror and shock on their faces when Joseph revealed to his brothers, guess what, guys? I'm Joseph. I'm the 17-year-old kid that you wanted to kill and that you sold into slavery. And now you stand before me and your very lives are in my hand. <laughs> that's how I probably would have responded. Yet that's not what Joseph did. See, in the end, after toying with his brothers for a while to see if there was any perceivable change in their lives, he had a different perspective. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis 45, verse 1. His brothers are standing before him. Joseph, verse 1 says, could stand it no longer. Out all of you, he cried to his attendants. He wanted to be alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and he wept aloud. His sobs could be heard throughout the palace and the news was quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Come over here, he said. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into Egypt. But don't don't be angry with yourselves that you did this to me. For God did it. He sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. These two years of famine will grow to seven, during which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God has sent me here to keep you and your families alive so that you will become a great nation. Yes, it was God who sent me here, not you. And he has made me a counselor to Pharaoh, manager of his entire household, and ruler over all Egypt. I'll say it again. I guarantee that would not have been my response. Don't worry, guys. 
God knew what he was doing. I'm in charge of the grain and you need grain. Look what God did. See, 25 years had passed. And time can bring healing to broken relationships. Even when the healing comes from the victim and not the one who did the harm. See, Joseph's brothers, even though he shared this graceful, beautiful response with them, they were terrified because they still thought he was going to get revenge. But they knew as long as their father Jacob was alive, they were safe because Joseph would not want to hurt his father anymore by doing harm to his brothers. It's like Michael Corleone from the Godfather movies. As long as their mother was alive, he couldn't touch his brother Fredo. Even though his brother had sold him out. So when their father Jacob finally died, the brothers were scared again. Oh boy, dad's gone. Now we're toast. But Joseph's reaction was completely different from the reaction of the fictional Michael Corleone. He showed grace and love to them. Listen to what he says in Genesis 50, 20. He says, as far as I'm concerned, Joseph said, God turned into good what you meant for evil. If they hadn't sold, you know, spoiled little Joey into slavery, then they wouldn't have connections to secure grain in the middle of a drought. Let's bring this home. We've all experienced horrible things. It happens in life. Can we find the good in all of those bad things that have happened to us in our lives? It took Joseph decades, but he did. He saw what God did, even through the evil intentions of his brothers. An optometrist tells us that perfect vision is seen 2020. That's why I wear these glasses. These are actually trifocals. I didn't know I was that old to wear trifocals. But anyway, I've got them. And I can see 2020. I can see you all. But in Genesis 50:20, Joseph's example tells us that the eyes of our hearts should have 50:20 vision. To be able to see that God can do something good out of something bad. In Romans 8:28, Paul writes, "We know that all things work together for good for those who love God." who are called according to his purpose. God takes all the things in our lives that we can only see with a limited view and he works them together for our spiritual good. See, that's because God honors those who love him. He cares for us and he wants the very best for us. God always has the condition of our hearts at the forefront of our relationship with him. That's what matters to God. 
I mean, how many times do we worry about our finances, for example, when we should be concerned about the state of our souls? Let me tell you, God is more concerned about your relationship with him than he is about how healthy your bank account is, despite what some TV preachers may say. It's because Jesus didn't die to resolve our money problems or any other problem. Jesus died to resolve our sin problem. He died so that we can be reunited with God that's been separated because of sin in our lives. And just as in Joseph's day, God works through the various joys and the struggles in our lives to draw us closer to him. I don't know why bad things happen. I don't know why good things happen. But with this 50-20 vision, we're able to see that God is in control of it all. And if we let him, if we let him, God will weave all of our experiences together into a relationship with him that will stand the test of time. God doesn't cause bad things to happen. They're part of life in a fallen world. But when those tough times come, and they're going to come, ask yourself how God might be using them to draw you closer to him. That's where we grow. How can our struggles help us to become closer to Jesus? See, God can turn heartache into blessings if we just put them in perspective. I've been through some incredibly difficult times in my life. Many experiences that I've never shared publicly. And thankfully, by the grace of God, I've never blamed God for them. I've learned from these experiences and they've made my faith and my trust in God stronger. I don't know what you're struggling with today. I know what some of you are. I don't know everything. But my God be trying to teach you through that. What is God trying to show you about yourself and about him in the midst of your struggles? May we all have this 50-20 vision so that we can be open to what God wants to reveal to us. Whatever that is in your life, God's working all the experiences together to draw you closer to him. What a great God to do that. Let's pray.